welcome to listen to Leading Energy podcast. Uh, happy to be here again with you. And today we'll talk about different cultures uh, combined with leadership with Michael Gates. I'm Nina Carlson, and with me hosting this session is Heli Bachman, and Heli will present Michael to you. Yeah, so great to have you here, Michael. It's such a pleasure. So, so for, for those who don't know about Michael, Michael Gates is the managing director of Michael Gates Cross Culture, and he's also an associate fellow in Said Business School, University of Oxford, and we're so happy to have you here. Thank you. A pleasure to be here and to talk to you. Yeah. So you are a teacher and a writer and you do your your topic is cross-cultural management and you are a regular speaker at, at corporate and um, government events. So please tell us about you. Um, the- well, <laughs> the first thing is that I'm British. If I'm talking about culture, I should confess my own nationality. I'm a bit of a mixture because my mother was Austrian, her parents were Czech, and I've lived in Finland for 33 years. So I'm just beginning to find out a little bit about the Finns. Uh, Until until lockdown, (laughs) I was traveling nearly every week all over the world, particularly, obviously, Europe and the Nordic countries, but then a lot in the US, um, India quite a lot, China. My biggest client is currently in New Zealand, but everything at the moment is by Zoom or Teams. Wow, that's pretty much whole world covered. Yeah, I mean, I forgot to mention Latin America and the Middle East, but um, so it's quite a lot of countries. And obviously with a topic like this, it's one that lends itself to working with many different cultures. And that's why I get a lot of my inspiration and, and stories from, from interacting with cultures as part of my job. Mm-hmm. And, and when we met quite many years ago, you... you, oh, you think about about five or six years ago, when yeah. you, you were coming on to the Oxford program on negotiation as a participant and wanted to find out a little bit more about it. So you came to our office and we had a discussion about it. Then you came on the program and now you're a coach on the program. So uh, it's been quite an interesting journey for you, I think. Yeah. And then the moment I met you, I, I realized it's, it must be a great program because you, you've been on it and you're very convincing and uh, well, we'll, very find out. <laughs> well yeah. certainly certainly a lot of experience and I think personal experience is so important and probably having had a mixed cultural background from such an early age I got really interested in the in the topic and although I didn't go into it immediately my first five years after university were working in radio but then I got interested in communication and, and that led to cross-culture. Great so so um, our listeners are international listeners, but of course, many of them uh, are Finnish. So today it would be so great to hear from you um, tips uh, for leaders, what you should do, what you shouldn't do when you do cross-culture collaboration on a, on a general level. I know it's a big topic. And also we have some, some questions regarding how do you build trust, uh, for instance, between people who come from let's say, Finland or India or UK, just to mention a few. Mm. That would be so great to hear your views. Well, trust is absolutely a a central issue about culture and concerning culture. And if you don't build trust, any human organization or enterprise is not going to succeed, probably. 
the challenge is that different cultures build trust in different ways. And we use a distinction of three cultural types. The first type we call linear cultures, and they're generally people from Northern Europe, North America, Australia, New Zealand. There are probably about 600 million people in the world who are predominantly linear, and they tend to be task-focused. They tend to be quite structured. They base their decisions on facts. The second cultural type is what we call multi-actives. Multi-actives would be Southern Europe, South America, India to a certain degree, and they are a lot more people-oriented. They're maybe a little bit more flexible with time and in some instances with the truth, and, and that's not necessarily a bad thing in some circumstances. And then um, the final type is what we call reactive cultures, and it would be East Asia, China, Japan. Key thing for them is listening and for creating harmony. Now, if you look at trust, linear people tend to trust others who keep their promises, who are consistent, who use scientific truth in their argumentation. Multi-active, they tend to trust people who are compassionate, who show that they care about you, who keep close to you and keep in touch with you. And they build trust by sharing secrets about each other. And eventually they've shared so many secrets that they could destroy each other. And so they have to remain friends for life. And it's a little bit like the mafia, maybe. And then um, the, um, the third type, the reactives, they build trust in very different ways. They trust you if you preserve their reputation and if you don't make them lose face, particularly in terms of seniors, because hierarchy is very important. Uh, they trust people who are polite and courteous. They trust people who make sacrifices. They trust people who, when they do them a favor, they do a favor back. And this way you build a network of moral obligations. So it can be a real challenge trying to build trust across borders if trust is built in such different ways. And I've recently been working with a Finnish company that are trying to get investment from Thailand. It's a small Finnish company, and the Thai company is the biggest company in Thailand. And we're dealing uh, with the family, and I've got an intermediary involved who's Thai. And he keeps saying to me, you know, at the last meeting, didn't the Finns realize how they made me lose face? They went back and changed something that I had understood as a promise uh, and um, said it in front of the others. It's fine to change things, but try and do it more diplomatically and maybe do it you know, offline rather than during the actual meeting. And they keep coming at us with so many facts, 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 facts. Tell them to stop with the facts. We're more interested in who they are as people. And can you tell them to look a little bit more enthusiastic when we're having a meeting with them? You know, they look so serious. And I tell the Finns to smile. And of course, you know, the smile lasts 10 seconds and then they're back to their usual face. And so, you know, it, it takes a lot of effort, a lot of practice to adapt. Mm. How how are we Finnish leaders? How uh, when we go are, are we typically from the linear? Yeah, uh, yeah I mean typically or, linear, yeah. so very fact based, fact based management and leadership, but then also having some mm-hmm. reactive qualities. The particular reactive mm-hmm. qualities that Finns probably have are silence, you know, thinking in silence rather than thinking aloud, and when Finns say something, they they mean it, but 
other nationalities are expecting more of an explanation as to why. I had a great experience or incidents with a, a mining company which was led by an Australian in, in northern Finland, in Lapland, actually, a few years ago. And he said, I just don't get the Finns. You know, he, he said, um, you know, we've had some problems. He said, um, I said, well, can you give me an example? He said, well, it was very cold last winter and the road was pretty frozen where they were taking the ore out of the mine to the coast. And even the lorries were having problems. It was so slippery. And so I asked the Finns, what should we do? And one of them just said salt. And I thought, well, you know, I don't really believe this because it was just one word and they didn't explain anything. So I ordered them to pour boiling water, spray boiling water over it. And of course, you know, you can imagine what happened. It melted for a second, then it got even worse. And I said to the Finns, well, why didn't you why don't you tell me not to do that? They said, well, you know, you didn't listen to us. We said salt. You didn't listen. You sprayed hot water on. You told us to do that. So, okay, if you're not going to listen, you'll find out pretty mm -hmm. well. Yeah, but that's a great example because Finns are often very, you know, when they speak, they say a few words and then they believe that that was understood and will be followed, whatever they said. I mean, the advice or something. So, how do you see then uh, if Finns are mostly linear, some reactive kind of type? Yes, I can understand that building rapport is sometimes difficult for Finns. But what else would you? I think it's a great example that give more explanation or justification. So tell more. What else would you advise? Well, I'd say really take your turn to speak. I remember working with the chair people of the uh, Finnish government when Finland had its first couple of EU presidencies. And they were saying, you know, it's so hard to get a word in. I'm at a meeting with um, Spaniards, Italians, Greeks, French, Brits. And how do, how do I interrupt? I never get a chance to speak. Well, you just have to interrupt, but you have to do it in a polite way. And if you're not sure what you're going to say yet, just say, just excuse me, I've got something to say, but I need to think about it for a second. Let me think and then I'll contribute. And then everyone, you know, hopefully sits around waiting in great expectation of what is going to be said. Uh, but you buy yourself a little bit of time. I need a moment to think. Um, I think showing more enthusiasm. I recall speaking to an American investor who was present years ago when Benicol were trying to raise money in the US. And, you know, Benicol was the first, I think, product that was a spread which lowered cholesterol. Fantastic invention. But this American said, you know, the Finns didn't seem to believe in it. They weren't enthusiastic. They pointed out quite a few problems. Well, that was just honesty. But, you know, for Americans, you've got to really pump things up and sell yourself. And um, they tend to do that. Um, showing more optimism. And, you know, that, that, that yeah. could be quite important, too, I would say. And then how do you motivate people? Different cultures tend to motivate in different ways. You know, an American boss would tend to motivate by pumping people up and saying how great they are. You know, you did a great job last month. It's going to be even better next month. And 
a lot of leaders throughout the world will motivate by painting a picture of what life will be like when we've succeeded. Henry V does it in, mm -hmm. in Shakespeare's play, you know, before the Battle of Agincourt, he talks to the troops and gets them to imagine what life will be like when they're in their old age, sitting in a pub, in a tavern, talking to their grandchildren about the wonderful things we did on this day. They haven't done them yet, but you paint this picture. In my experience, not all, but many Finnish leaders would tend to leave by, lead by doing the opposite, by painting a picture of what life will be like if we fail. <laughs> not all of them, but I've heard yeah. it many times. You know, If we don't do this, if we don't mm -hmm. succeed, then we will lose our jobs, the company will close, and you know, it'll all be awful. And then, of course, the famous Finnish uh, Sisu kicks in. So the feeling then is, well, you've told us what it will be like if we're going to fail. We're going to use our guts and uh, determination to make sure that we don't fail. And, and if a leader paints too optimistic a picture of the future, then many Finns would see that as unrealistic. So I think those are some of the things. And communicate more, both when you're speaking and by replying to emails. I mean, a typical thing that I get from non-Fins when they're dealing with Fins say, well, I wrote an email and, and I've not had a reply yet. And then when you ask Finn, you know, why didn't you reply? Well, I didn't have anything to say yet. I'll reply when I've got the answer. You need to say, mm -hmm. um, I'm working on it and keep reassuring them. Mm -hmm. um, That's the same thing. I'm thinking about, you know, I'm, I'm about to comment, but I need time to think. It's the same thing in an email that I'm, I'm processing this, isn't it? It's the same uh, thing. It, Letting the other person know that we're working on it. We, haven't, we don't kind of disregard you, but. That's right. That's right. Yeah. And remember, as a Finnish leader, that. One thing that Finns generally hate when they're being led is being micromanaged. It drives them nuts, mm -hmm. in my experience. You know, you asked me to do something. Why are you checking up? Because you asked me. You only yeah. need to ask me once. I'll do it in time. So why are you checking up? And um, But mm -hmm. some cultures like being micromanaged. They want constant contact from the boss asking how they're getting on, checking up on them, and they want it. Um, and I think one thing to think about through all of this is where is the power and who needs who more than whom? And, um, I mean, if I think of my mm -hmm. case with the, the Finns and the Thais, you've got this tiny startup and you've got the biggest company in Thailand. Well, the startup needs the Thai investors more than the investors need the Finns. And so logically, who should adapt to whom? I would say that you need to adapt if you've less power. Or as a leader, you need to adapt if you want people to do the things that you want them to do. Because if you do it your way and nothing happens, well, you know, you've not succeeded. So in that situation, you probably need to adapt as well. Mm. And the problem here is you don't know how to adapt, or you don't even often know that there is a need to adapt if you don't realize that there are these cultural communication differences and underlying values like what it, what trust means or how do you build trust. Absolutely. So how, how do people, how do you guide people to 
create awareness? Well, I think the first thing is always to know yourself. And it was written above the Delphic Oracle in Greece, know yourself. And that's mm -hmm. not very easy to do. And I think it's hard to do it on your own. You need someone to hold the mirror up to you. So if I take my fins and the ties again, when I said to the fins, you made the ties lose face, they had no idea. They said, how? What did we do? They had no idea that they made them lose face. And even though face is important in general for fins, it's more about people not wanting to lose their own face, but it's maybe more difficult to protect other people's face. And in a society and a business environment, which is not very hierarchical, then people aren't as concerned at a meeting if someone disagrees with them or says, oh, that figure was wrong or this graph you know, is drawn incorrectly. They're not so bothered about it. But in another culture, that could be a terrible loss of face. So you have to be extremely sensitive. Mm -hmm. um, and so the point really is know yourself, then try and find out about the other culture, put yourself in the other culture's shoes, project yourself imaginatively into their world. You don't need to know all the little do's and don'ts. What you really need is two or three maybe up to five core values of the other culture and think, how is this going to impact the way in which I need to operate in order to get a better result? And so, for example, anyone going to work in Asia, I would say the three things to think about are the issue of face, relationships, and hierarchy. And things will fall into place. Mm -hmm. uh, if you And also watch how your counterparts are behaving and try and at least come halfway. We're not trying to get you to change. We're not asking you in the sense that we don't want Finns to pretend they're American or Japanese or German or Italian. What we're asking you to do is to try and frame your communication in a way which means something to the other party. This is really fascinating and, and relates a lot to personalities. Know yourself and, and learn something about the, uh, the other, other culture or other person and, and also kind of a tune up, tune in before you know yourself. And, and, and we don't often think about how we uh, look for, for the other person, the blind spots. And this really sounds the, the similar, that we don't even realize what we carry with us when we deal with That's another right. culture. And in, in my so, training, if I'm doing cultural training, I get people to do an assessment on the web, self-assessment, mm -hmm. and then they get a picture yeah. of their cultural type. But then we also, if I'm working with a, a real team, get the other members of the team to do a mini assessment on each of their colleagues. And then when we have a debrief, we're able to see what are the gaps between how I perceive myself and how I was perceived by the team in general, not by any other individual in the team, because we don't mm -hmm. want to create arguments just in general. So one concrete example recently, I'm working with a team with many different nationalities led by a French guy. And in his self-assessment, the French guy came out as very reactive in the area of speaking and listening. So basically, all his answers pointed to the fact that he believed he listened most of the time. Well, can you imagine when we looked at his team results on him, all his team thought that he talked most of the time. 
And so the obvious mm -hmm. thing then is the question, why do you think that? And then they began pointing out, they said, well, when we're having an important discussion with you, you're often reading your email, sending a text, and we don't feel that you're listening. You say, oh, but I am listening. They said, but that's not our perception. And so this question of perception is so important. How do others perceive us? And if that's very different from how we perceive ourselves, what are we going to do about that? So very true. Um, and what we have done together uh, in, in this Energy Leader Trainer Program, we base it on the personality types and how each person from that perspective acts as a leader and, and what is important for them. And you've done their, the cultural types. Yeah. So we address this kind of very similar way, but from different angles. And, and it's a great combination. I would That's say. right. And I know you've both done the culture active test and I've done the Enneagram and I learned a lot from the mm -hmm. Enneagram too. Um, how my enthusiasm could be irritating, for example, and lack of interest in detail <laughs> could really frustrate other people. And you see it in politicians. Uh, you know, they're great examples because they're very much in the public eye, more so obviously than business leaders. And when you see people's reactions to politicians and the things that they like or dislike about them, then, you know, it's, it's, it's a very clear illustration of, of culture. And I think um, talking about politics, very often countries elect leaders who are quite close to what I would say is the, you know, the generalized picture of the national culture. So, you know, in Finland, I would say that you tend to like leaders who are calm, uh, not too ebullient or enthusiastic. I mean, for example, Boris Johnson probably wouldn't go down very well in, in Finland and and then when you do have a leader who is different from the norm for whatever reason or other they tend not to last very long in that position so if you have a leader who's a very good public speaker mm -hmm. who smiles a lot and who is very enthusiastic that maybe doesn't sit so well with the Finnish image of a leader as someone who is quite self-effacing uh, and interestingly I don't know if you know the clinical psychologist um, Manfred Ketz de Vries, um, Dutch, and he, mm -hmm. quite some years ago, and you know he's not a Finn. He said that in his opinion, the the best leaders in the world were Finns, and his reasoning was that they they aren't on an ego trip. And as a clinical psychologist, you know he talks about the ego and narcissism of leaders. And, you know, the leader is a, a great man or woman who are some sort of hero. And whereas in, in Finland, it tends to be a lot more modest, not pushing yourself forwards as much. It's not an ego trip. It's more about how do we, in a calm way, get the best results. And you don't necessarily need charisma for that. Mm. And then listening to what you say, I, I'm thinking about the old... Um, Aristotelian model logos etos patos so I think things are very log, log yeah yeah very very based on facts and logic and structured rational arguments on evidence research not so much pathos which is showing your feelings and ethos is about who you are your character I mean that's an interesting one because it's a question of you know are you someone who 
deliberately displays your character or do you let your character be revealed by quiet results and Finn's I would say are much more the, the latter yeah and and interesting here is also that uh, calm and quiet and logos based and and all that uh, Finnish uh, way of doing and yet we leave with the silence we leave a lot of room for misunderstandings for another cultures because we don't say out loud that we are thinking and we are rational and and all that uh, uh, does it come easily that we could attune a bit or change our behavior a bit in order to be more effective in, in well at the risk of being controversial i think it's probably easier for the women than the men particularly the older men and uh -huh. it, you made a very good point about the silence being misunderstood by other cultures and i had a great example some years ago i was teaching in california and it was for a company that had two years previously bought a small finnish company and I'd worked with this company before in, in another area in Europe and they said, we've really got a problem. Uh, we're having difficulties with the Finns. Can you come to San Diego and give us a, a session on Finns? So I was very interested in this and I thought, I'm not going to tell them what Finns are like to begin with. I'm going to ask them what they think about Finns. And so I said, look, before I start anything, I need to know what you think about Finns. So I split them into little groups, four or five groups, and said, I'll give you 10 minutes to discuss Finns and then come up with something about them. So we finished the 10 minutes, and I asked the first group, what do you think about Finns? What's the main thing? They said, oh, they're unreliable. I said, oh, that's a bit of a surprise to oh. me. Um, and in fact, I'd met their colleagues in Finland previously, and uh, you know, they seemed absolutely solid Finns. You know? So I asked the next table, um, what's your main thing about Finns? They said, oh, it's quite similar. They don't keep promises. And then I asked the next, so then I asked the next table, I said, well, what do you think about Finns? They said, they don't stick to deadlines. I said, right, I'm stopping it there. I said, I know that's your personal experience, but you are wrong. And I don't mind saying that. It's difficult for you to accept that, of course, because you experienced it. But there must be some other reason. I said, just imagine that you have completely misunderstood Finns. Can you now work in groups and come up with a reason for why you think you got these impressions? And so they worked in groups and they all came up with the same answer. They said, is it because we're a big company with 40,000 employees? The company we bought has, in Finland has 40 employees and that we've given them too much to do. And they just don't have the resources to keep their promises and deliver on time and be reliable. I said, I think we're onto something. They said, ah, but why didn't they say anything? I said, well, there's this thing called Sisu. And then I mm. translated from the beginning of um, Under This Northern Star, Alisa, Oli, Sua, Quarka, Yayussi, and gave a little <laughs> bit of explanation about, about what that meant. I said, they're too busy to complain, and they don't complain. Um, they don't communicate. And so it was going wrong, but not for want of trying. 
So culture wasn't mm-hmm. culture wasn't the problem, Very but culture important. was the solution. Mm-hmm. Understanding that, and you know, for Finns to understand that things which in among yourselves could be seen as positive could be interpreted the wrong way and negatively by other cultures. And don't assume that other cultures can read your mind. I think that's very important. Because I have the, the a very strong feeling that Finns among themselves are almost telepathic, that don't even need to say anything for everyone mm-hmm. to know what everyone else is thinking. And, you know, there can be a long silence and then someone will say, non-een. And everyone... Every, every, everyone knows what non-in means, <laughs> but uh, a total mystery to people who don't understand Finnish culture. That is so true. That is so true. And and that example uh, shows how Finns they want to perform often, and 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 they want to fulfill the promises, mm-hmm. and and they assume that most of the other persons do the same. I mean, from other countries, and they don't ask questions or check so much because they presume that they will be told if if things are not if things are wrong or things need to be adjusted do you have any examples there or guidance how to do the kind of the performance management well to get things done with different cultures you need to understand how to get things done in those cultures and if i take as an example india because i work a lot in india Um, I work a lot with Indians outside India, and I work a lot with companies who deal with Indians. And there are certain things that come up again and again. One of them is the use of time and keeping to uh, deadlines. Mm -hmm. And someone asked me recently, they said, "We, we can't seem to get projects done on time, no matter how much we send people the project plan or email them. I said, you're approaching it the wrong way. What you've got to remember is with Indians, relationships are so important. So rather than insisting mm-hmm. on the clock, on a schedule, draw on relationships. And then they say, well, how can I build a good relationship at a distance? Well, what about uh, praising someone in the team who you think has an influence on the team, praising them to their boss. You know, if they did something good, write a letter, an email to them, praising them and CC the boss. That's a way to build relationships because you've made them look good to your boss, you know, in the hierarchy. And hierarchy is so important to Indians. I mean, I'm working at the moment a lot with Indians and these two fairly young Indians who are organizing the stuff that I'm doing, they, um, They insisted on calling me Professor Gates. Well, I'm not a professor. That's not my title. So um, eventually I said to them, look, don't call me prof- uh, you know, Professor Gates. Just call me Michael. The next email I got from them, um, dear Professor Michael. <laughs> the hierarchy is so important. So then when the schedule yeah, is yeah. behind, just contact the person that you have a good relationship with them and say, I really need your help. Please help me. And, mm-hmm. you know, the reason I need your help is that if we don't get this done on time, I'm going to get in trouble with my boss. It's not a very Finnish way of doing it, but it's what works. So it's it's adapting things 
in a way which will get the results. And that is not the same in every culture. So it always comes down to what you said earlier, put yourself in, in the other parties or person's shoes, understand the, the core values and how those values operate in that country and try to to get there in order you know address that in order to build good yeah, relations absolutely you know immerse yourself in their values you don't have to take on their values but understand how that impacts the way in which mm -hmm. you could work with them more effectively this this has been so helpful and and a lot of examples and good tips and a lot of different cultures in in the discussion as well from asia to india to america and and the core the finnish finnish leader and i hope our listeners have gotten a very good and practical ideas and and tips and uh, we we are wrapping up the discussion now uh, maybe uh before we go we'll uh uh, summarize the discussion in in one or two sentences. I'll let you think about it. And uh, meanwhile, I'll tell the listeners that you find more information about us from www.energycoaching.fi and also uh, Michael Gates Cross Cultures uh, can be found more uh, about this cultural assessment and uh, those those topics. And I'll let you to summarize well, I think our discussion to today. I the beginning, which is know yourself, know others, and adapt, and think about where the power is. And if I have a special message for Finns, it's something that over my 33 years here, I firmly believe that Finns are the world's best communicators. The problem is the rest of the world doesn't realize it. <laughs> Very good last word. So uh, thank you so much joining us and sharing your ideas and experiences with, with us. We are so grateful and it's been a pleasure to talk with you and we'll, we'll continue Thank you and a pleasure to talk with you both again. It's been too long. Yeah. Thank you, Michael. <laughs> A pleasure, as always. And take care, all our listeners. Um, enjoy yourselves in the, and um, take care of yourselves. Mm -hmm.